Hi, everybody. Carol here. This is a shout out from all of us at Smashing Security. That's Graham and I. To all of you Patreon supporters for supporting us. It's amazing. This week, special mention goes to Jonathan Bowen, Jamie Schwendinger, Will Coston, John Nicholas, Richard Anand, Marvin71, Stuart Setliff, Amber, Simon Yakan, and the hilarious I Come From a Land Down Under, where beer does flow and men chunder. So, thank you all for your support. It means the world. If you want to join these hilarious Patreon supporters, everything you need to know is on smashingsecurity.com forward slash Patreon. And know that we welcome you with open arms, socially distanced, go go gadget arms. Okay, let's get this show on the road. So, do you actually know what Wu Tang means, as in the Wu Tang Clan? You can't say the word, can you? Wu Tang Clan. Yes, I'm saying that correctly. <laughs> it sounds like you're saying Wu Tang Clang. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no, but it has a G on the end. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. It's Wu-Tang Clang. Right. No, no, no. Clang doesn't have a G on it. Clang, Clang. Okay, Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Okay. Jeez, we're trying to do a podcast here. (laughs) Wu-Tang Clan. Oh, shit. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much. Smashing Security, Episode 202. The Wu-Tang Clan are among us, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cooley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, episode 202. My name's Graham Cooley. And I'm Carol Terrio. And we're joined this week by a special guest, aren't we, Carol? Yes, we are. Very good friend of mine, and Brainiac, and uh, regular on the show, I'd say, Mr. James Thompson. A friend of Graham's too, one would hope. But uh, yes, hello. <laughs> hello, James. <laughs> So, uh, James, you're stuck out in Slovakia. Well, I say stuck out. You actually live there, don't you? I do, yes. Yeah, but you're in lockdown right now, aren't you? Well, yeah. It's a kind of half-assed lockdown where you're allowed to go to the shops and go to work and <laughs> primary schools are still open. Do all the shit stuff, but none of the fun stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everything's shut at five o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> well, thank God for us then. We've livened up your day, haven't we? You have. Thank you. Carol, what's coming up on the show this week? First, let's thank this week's sponsors, Recorded Future, LastPass, and Immersive Labs. Their support help us give you this show for free. Now, coming up on today's show, Graham regales us with the story of scammers pretending to be rappers. James talks election voting machines. And I ask what politicians are doing on gaming platforms. Also, we have a fab interview with LastPass's Dahlia Hamze. She's new to the show. She's a security engagement manager, and she talks frankly about how she got into security and gives us a few fresh ideas on how we can communicate it to others. All this and much more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. Now, chums, chums, we've all heard of identity theft, haven't we? We're all familiar of that. No. No, never. <laughs> no. Have you talked about it before? It was a rhetorical question. I wasn't really expecting you to answer oh, it. Oh, right. I'll an, just shut up. Sorry. In, a, in an untrue way. No, you can, you can jump in if you want, Carol. But, of course, identity theft is when someone pretends to be someone they're not with naughtiness and fraud in mind. But have you ever heard of people pretending to be a rap band? People who might pretend to be a rock group or a, some sort of artiste but in fact, they're not really the real thing. 
No, have you? Yes, I have. And I'm going to tell you about some right oh, now. Okay, here we go. I'm going to tell you about a couple of chaps. One of them, his name is, and these are their real names, Aaron Barnes Burpo. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, it's very juvenile to laugh at somebody's name. I'm sorry, Graham, that is not anybody's name. It is Aaron Barnes Burpo and Walker Washington. And these two chaps got into a little pickle. They got themselves into a sticky pickle because... TM Qualterio. What they found themselves doing was they rented a Rolls-Royce Phantom limousine. And having rented this Rolls-Royce Phantom limousine for a not inconsiderable amount of money, in fact, they actually spent nearly $60,000 renting this Rolls-Royce Phantom limousine. For how long? Well, I'm... Do you know, I've actually been in a Rolls-Royce Phantom limousine before. Yes, I have. Was it with a couple of rappers? A mutual friend of James and mine once came to uh, my work and picked me up because he's a car journalist. And, oh, uh, I think I know who that is. Uh-huh. And uh, we went for lunch. And inside the logbook, it had already been driven by someone like Sophie Dahl. And Robbie Williams had rented it the week before. Oh, I hope he cleaned up afterwards. Yeah, I'm up with the big crew. So the kind of company we move in. That's this right. Yeah, Very wow. impressive. Well... On this particular occasion, it was Messieurs Barnes Burpo and Washington who took this limousine. I would love to see their name in the book. <laughs> well, that interesting. Yes, what name would they put in the book? Because what they did was they pretended to be other people because they used other names. One of them pretended to work for Rock Nation. Are you from James, you're, you're down with the kids. Are you familiar <laughs> with Rock Nation, the music I've- company run by Jay-Z? I I am as unfamiliar with Rock Nation as I am with Aaron Barnes Burpo. James is very aware of Huey Lewis in the news, other than that. (laughs) No, those those heights have never been scaled since. That's right. Well, maybe you are more familiar with the Wu-Tang Clan. The Wu-Tang Clan, one of the... the Is that like the Wuhan Clan? Is that... Uh, No. (laughs) No, it's... Do you actually know what Wu-Tang means, as in the Wu-Tang Clan? No. You can't say the word, can you? Wu-Tang Clan. Yes, I'm saying that correctly. Uh, it sounds like you're saying Wu-Tang Clang. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no, but it has a G on the end. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. Oh, well, not in your notes. Well, you shouldn't be reading my notes. It has a G on the end. At first, I thought it didn't have a G, but it has a G. It's right. Wu-Tang Clang. No, no, no. Clang doesn't have a G on it. Clang, Clang. Du- okay, Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Uh, yes. Okay. Jeez, we're trying to do a podcast here. <laughs> 202 episodes, and now... Is anyone else looking? I'm looking. Mm-hmm. Wu-Tang Clan. Oh, shit. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. This is where you say, you were right, Kral. I apologise. You were right. What's confused me is that Tang has a G yes, on it. Yes, I... I, yes, I <laughs> yes. Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah. Okay, do you know what Wu-Tang means? Wu-Tang? No. Witty, unpredictable, talent... And natural game. So if you ever hear of the the Wu-Tang clan, that's what they are. Now I'm quite familiar with these two, right? These sounds it. I'm quite I'm quite familiar with this group. Um and I'm a big fan actually of the Wu-Tang clan, which people may not realise. <laughs> I, I mean I remember, I remember the, the good old days of Method Man, Ghost Face Killer and Inspector Deck. You remember that? James, remember Master Killer? I have no idea what you're talking about. And uh, 
they haven't been the same since old dirty bastard passed away, have they? Oh, no, no, of course. Yeah, now you mention yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> well, many's the time I've put fish scale on my decks and recognised the influence of big... Hang on. I'm on this. your decks? I'm reading this piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> the influence yeah, of sounds- big daddy Kane on their art. Um, I'm lying, of course. I, I know nothing of the Wu Tang clan. Um my wife, however, does. I, was, I said to her, I'm going to be talking about the Wu-Tang Clan later. And she said, that's not how you say the name. But she did say that she had some of their CDs. And she's regularly bopping around, jumping up and down like Zebedee, um, reeling off. And she told me some <laughs> names of their famous songs. Like, uh, she said, there's a really good one, she said, called Dog Shit. Um, so, anyway. Did you listen to this Dog uh, Shit she, song? She did play a little bit of it. It was, it was like a rap. So, it's not really my cup of tea. Um, right. But. But Aaron Barnes Burpo <laughs> and Walker Washington. Is that why you chose to tell a story, just because of their names? They were arrested <laughs> in February this year, right, and charged with conspiring to commit wire fraud and aggravated identity theft, presumably the aggravated identity theft or pretending to be the Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> okay. Now, you know how you know how sometimes they, they say a crime is aggravated? Like, what is an aggravated identity theft? I've never I, heard that those two words together. Have you not? Have you never heard of, so, like, an aggravated robbery or something like what, that? Aggra- aggravated assault. Yeah, right. aggravated assault, but <laughs> yes. not aggravated identity theft. What do they do, rip off your name, off your personality? Just I, th- I thought it could be just someone very, very annoying pretending to be you or exasperated, <laughs> and they kept on pretending to be you. So I had to look it up. Uh, and so this is my little bit of education for everyone listening. I, maybe everyone knows this. When a crime is aggravated, it just means it's a bit worse. So it's more serious than it would otherwise be. So that's why if you ever hear Americans talk about aggravated something. So this is serious identity theft rather than crappy serious identity, identity theft. theft. I, exactly. And I imagine okay. because of the amount of money involved, because they did obviously defraud quite a lot of money out of this limousine company because they didn't pay them real money. They just rolled in pretending to work for JZ. Oh, so this is what it's all about? Yes. He just walked in, said, hey, we're the Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 60K. Yeah, 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 yeah. No problem. Yeah. Throw in the champers. <laughs> and then they went off and with the, you know, rapping in their car. And exactly. then they got the invoice and didn't pay it. And then they've got this fancy limo, this phantom Rolls Royce. How long do they have it for? Oh, they had it for a while because they were... About six months at that price, I would hope. <laughs> they were going from hotel to hotel using fake and stolen credit cards booking hotel rooms. And it wasn't just them. They also had a posse. So they had men and women with them as well. Well, to make them look more famous. You need the hangers on. To make it look like they're on entourage. Mm-hmm. So they would go, for instance, to the Georgian Terrace Hotel in Atlanta. And they booked like, you know, 10 rooms. For all of these people. So they had some women, they had some men. Some of them were homeless people who they'd hired to pretend to be bodyguards for them. And they were raking up huge bills in goods and services in cities, Atlanta, Nashville, across the the southern states. And another hotel they went to, the Hyatt Regency in Atlanta. They walked away without paying its $39,000 tab. And they also hired some recording studios. How do they not pay if they have... Stolen credit cards and the like. Ah, well, you see, Crow, this, let, me, let me tell you what happens, right? What can happen is if, if you've got a stolen credit card, uh, f- from what I've heard, <laughs> what you can do is you can book in and quite often they'll say, oh, 
can we take an imprint of your credit card for $50 in case you use the mini bar? Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah, of course. And you go, yo, yeah. yo, yo, no problem, man, take it. Oh, there's your rap character. And, yeah. <laughs> okay. and, and then, of course, you pay the big bill when you leave, don't you? But if you sneak out in the middle of the night, or if you're such a celebrity that they kind of you kind of go, oh, put it on the account, you know, send it, send through the invoice to my company, and we'll sort it out there. Okay. Now you might be wondering how these guys were caught. No, I'm wondering what this has to do with IT security. Well, <laughs> okay, well, well, <laughs> well is it, Carole, was it, was it when they pronounced his name JZ? <laughs> Sorry. Was it when they pronounced his name JZ? What was that? Was when the penny finally dropped? What's wrong? What? It is JZ. Graham, even I know it's not JZ. <laughs> just it's so, too much, James. It's just there's too many of them. So you can't point out every single one. So how were they caught? Well, would you believe the receptionist at the Fairfield Inn in Augusta was suspicious when they checked in? He thought, hang on a minute, maybe he knew his rappers. I don't know. And so he questioned them a bit, and they tried to convince him that they were really members of the Wu-Tang clan. How would you – I would just test them with the lyrics. Well, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So the receptionist asked them to sing for him. Okay. And they said they couldn't do it without backing music. So what happened was they got out a ghetto blaster, put a track on, and these guys lip-synced to the music, pretending to be singing. Oh, for God's sake. And the receptionist (laughs) spotted this. Spotted that their lips weren't in perfect sync. (laughs) If they'd been Milli Vanilli, they'd have got away with it. Then it would have been slightly more convincing. But as it was, they found it slightly implausible. Actually, that isn't what happened. But I think think that's how I would have got it. That's why I would have got it. Instead, what the receptionist did was he rang up JZ's company, Rock Music. What was on speed dial? Yeah, yeah. If you're in, if yeah, of course you would be. If you're a swanky hotel, you've probably you're prepared for this. Rang them up and said, "Hey, Jay, um, these guys claim they work for you. Claim they're the Wu Tang Clan." Clan. And they said, "No, oh for goodness, really, can't they just change their name? It's no, really complicated. It's down. really difficult." <laughs> and and they said the booking is absolutely nothing to do with us, and so they were caught. So. The whole point of this story is about what happens when your credit card details get stolen. You might think they're being stolen by some lowlife to score a deal down some dark alleyway. But in fact, they might end up in the hands of someone who's planning to perpetrate a Wu-Tang scam. (laughs) And so... (laughs) I think that was his punchline. And (laughs) And so these guys have been nabbed. They've now pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit wire fraud. They face up to, get this, they face up to 20 years in prison. Presumably because of the amount of money that they racked up. It's quite hefty, isn't it? The guys who are homeless, the homeless bodyguards, they've got away scot-free. And I think that's a little bit unfair because those guys, if they're really (laughs) homeless, 20 years, you know, I don't know what it's like in a federal prison. I imagine it's not very pleasant. But even so, something to think about. So that is... Okay, can I just... uh, Yes. So as a person whose credit card details might be stolen, say I were someone who had been, uh, you know, caught up in this little rigmarole, Mm -hmm. um, 
I probably wouldn't have to pay out, right? It would be the credit card company that would have to pay out on that. Well, hopefully, yes, indeed. Yes, but you, but Carol, you have to understand that even if the credit card company pay out, we all end up paying in the end. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for that. Right? <laughs> no, but it's still this important point, isn't it? It's not as though there aren't victims of this. And we, we, we all suffer as a result of these kind of scams. Stop, stop claiming this is a victimless crime, because it's not, is it? Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's a victimless crime. I just think from a view of someone whose credit card might be stolen, you'd be worried more about being liable in these instances, right? And uh, I guess that's what I'd be wondering. Like, I, I'm sure you've done that research. So what, <laughs> <laughs> what, what do our listeners need to take away from this? Well, what I think you need to take away is that you always need to be suspicious of fraudsters. You have to keep your eyes open for people who might claim to be someone that they are not. And you may encounter them in real life. You may encounter them in your inbox. And don't be so dazzled by the fact that you believe you have a celebrity, for instance, booking a room with you, that you won't question them. So don't be afraid to question. Don't be afraid to double check. Don't be afraid like this receptionist at the Fairfield Inn in Augusta wasn't afraid to ring up rock music and confirm that they really were who they claim to be. And who who do they claim to be? The Wu Tang Clan. Very good. Well done, Greg. <laughs> you got that. Honestly, I think this guy had a good enough name to begin with. I don't know why he was impersonating other people. <laughs> I- Aaron Barnes Burpo. James, what story have you got for us this week? Well, as you may be aware... Uh, <laughs> The Americans are holding a presidential election next week. And I am always in awe of the fact that Americans love tech. I mean, how else can you explain voting machines? (laughs) Now, you, you might be aware that when Americans go to vote, for the most part, they do not put a cross in a box in the method, you know, with which we are familiar, but they go and either prod a computer screen or in some cases pull a lever. Um, you might recall that uh, back in 2000, uh, there was a disputed presidential election, which came down to a few hundred votes in uh, Florida. The hanging chads. Exactly, yeah. the hanging chads. No, but not just the hanging chads, the uh, the dimple chads, the, the oh. pregnant chads, um, the open and closed doors. There's a whole kind of uh, lexicon that developed out of this crisis, which was partly to do with, well, there was a whole series of issues, but one of it was bad ballot paper design and also these devices <laughs> that people used to to punch holes in cards. Um, in the wake of that fiasco, they decided to upgrade their voting systems. Right. And they gave the states who are responsible for holding elections in, in, in the United States, um, the individual states, a huge dollop of cash, billions of dollars to upgrade their um, voting systems. And they all went out and bought the most astonishing... <laughs> Astonishing collection of of digital. Um, uh, well, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, is this a family show? I don't want to, no, uh, no, don't want to God, offend no. people. No, no families listen to this. Digital um, uh, dog shit, if you were. Um, of course, yes. In the in the style of the Wu Tang Clan, or clan even <laughs> clan. And um, thank you. Um, now, this means that there are now several states in the U.S. where if the aging computers that they bought twenty years ago fall over, or the Russians manage to hack them. There is no paper record of how people voted. That's to say, you go into the booth, 
you press on a, a screen. Yeah. Yeah. It goes, thank you very much. You may now leave. And there is no record other than in the guts of this creaking Windows XP fired machine. Oh, can't even print out logs to say. There is, there is, there is, there is, there is, there is nada. Well, the voters see nothing. I'm sure at some point in the process, they can print some log out, but, um, but basically it's, uh, you're relying on this, um, on this technology. Do, do nobody else, I mean, you're right. In the UK, we certainly don't have voting machines. We've got a very sophisticated, I mean, it's worth saying to our American audience, we have a very sophisticated system in operation here yes. in the United Kingdom where on election day, you take your dog to a church hall, you are asked for your name, um, you're then notably not asked for any identification whatsoever because we're British and thus trustworthy, <laughs> and they give you a little stubby pencil and you yep. go into a cubicle and you just mark a name, don't you, and say, this is the one I'd quite like, thank you very much. Are you marking this? Are you marking this? No, I'm so, yeah. I am I, th- I think it's a remarkable system. And then there are these wonderful people who stay up until three o'clock that morning counting up all the pieces yeah. of paper. Yeah. It's, 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 it's kind of like um, the, the book. It's a kind of unimprovable technology. Mm. Um, yeah. Because it's, it's hack-proof, really, isn't it? The way we do it in the UK. Look, I mean, back in the 19th, 18th and 19th centuries, there was plenty of uh, electoral fraud. But hmm. to, to arrange electoral fraud using a paper-based system now just is impossibly expensive. You just require too many people and too many physical hmm. resources. And yet these machines are a gift to people who either want to screw up your electoral system or else to cast doubt on the electoral system. Mm-hmm. And um, as you might be aware, there has been a lot of casting of doubt lately. Um, come, come. But, uh, but, but the, the, um, the amazing thing is that in the wake of the last election, obviously, there was a lot of concern because of the uh, alleged Russian hacking of, um, well, the attention economy, but also allegations that, that there have been attempts to, uh, to hack electoral systems. Mm. And so there was actually a, a rather good uh, New York Times video in which they've explored the, um, the security of the electoral system in the US. And, and it, it comes to a sort of positive conclusion moderately that this US election could be the most secure yet. But in the course of it, they interview some of the people responsible for the system, including the wonderfully named Dana de Beauvoir, Ooh. who is the, uh, yeah, not, she's, she's <laughs> no, she's no Barnes Burpo, but still, you've got to, you've got to respect a name like that. Yeah. And she's the county clerk of Travis County, Texas, which is one of these places you've never heard of, but has a million people living in it. And she said that with all of this federal money they got 20 years ago, they asked their voters what they wanted, and, and the voters told them that the most important thing was to have a paper trail. It was like, well, you know, duh. And before that, they'd been using these machines which left no record. But instead of just deciding to use paper ballots, they went on a 15-year search for voting machines that print out the result of you having pressed a screen. Now, I can't quite work out, although I don't claim to have any inside knowledge of the American electoral system, why you can't just cut the computer out of this equation? Why Why does there have to be a digital middleman in this process? Now, I know that in America, when they go to vote, they go to vote on about 300 different things yes. at the same time. There's the presidency, yes. there's, there's in yeah. some places, the Senate, there's always a congressional election, local there's the local council, yeah. there's governors, yeah. there's dog catchers, you name it, yeah. Ju- judges even. Yeah. I mean, they like judges, don't ask me how that works. But the problem is that there's this mishmash of systems, almost all of which rely at some level on on a machine either to to vote with or to count the votes or to do various other things during the process. And a lot of these are horribly underprotected. Mm. And the New York Times reporter David Sanger, who focuses mostly on in- intelligence issues, says the real danger here is not 
a major hack, although that can't be ruled out, that, that somebody might try to get into the system and change all of the vote totals. Because there's normally ways to uh, to, to check if, if someone's just screwed with a few numbers in the system. The problem is more of a what's called a perception hack, which is where you just go in, you, you cause a few little screw-ups here and there, and then you get your Twitter bot armies to go in hard and say, that's it, the whole thing is corrupted, you can't trust the result. Mm. So, all I can say is, thank goodness no one is trying to undermine confidence in the result. <laughs> oh, oh, wait. And these machines are all connected. I wonder why the machines have to actually be connected to each other. Why can't they just be standalone? And then, well, the irony is that the, the, the oldest ones that date back more than twenty years—they're not actually internet-enabled. So, in a way, they are actually safer. But the problem with those, of course, is that they're running on ancient hardware and software, which you know, under severe pressure, might well give way. And then, with these machines that don't keep a paper record, that's it. You've lost all the votes. There's no, there's no other record anywhere. Yeah. Um, I mean, of course, you've, we've seen in the last few weeks, there have been, I think now, 60 million people have voted early in the mm. US. And that's partly because they, for no very good reason, but mainly because of the um, propaganda of one, one side, a certain Donald J. Trump, not that the mail-in ballots aren't correct, but that, that they won't be uh, validated in the same way. So they've actually been queuing up. You might mm. have seen these amazing videos of people queuing for hours on end just to vote early so that they know that their ballot has, has gone into the box and can't be later kind of ruled invalid. See, I can't understand that either. How can there be lineups like so far ahead of the election? Because there's so few stations or because it takes so long to fill in the 80,000 different things they have to fill in for all the I different... Think a lot of I think a lot of the places where you can make your vote uh, have been shut down, haven't they? There, there's a, yeah, yeah. an absence of opportunity. So we we might, for instance, have to drive up to Chester if we wanted to vote here in Oxford. I would have to walk across the street. Well, yeah, but I'm saying if we had a yeah. similar situation to right. what's going on in America, you may require quite a trip. Yeah, there have been a series of efforts to, well, I mean, th these are allegations, but I think they're pretty well mm. substantiated to, to limit access to, to voting. And it's worse in some states than others. Yeah. But but like Graham says, in Britain, if you want to vote, you just toddle off down to the local primary school and or the church yeah. hall. And, and, and in every village or town, there is somewhere to vote. You know what could solve all these security issues, though, with voting machines? And I think they need to introduce, maybe they need to get the blockchain involved. Oh, God. <laughs> or pen and paper. Let me go back old school. I'm, you know. That is my proposal. Luddites unite. But, you know, this, this is the thing which has impressed me with American elections in the past, is that at, certain, at like 10 o'clock at night or 11 o'clock or whatever, they suddenly announce lots of different states and what the, yeah. what the vote is. And I guess it's because of these machines, whereas here in the UK, you may have to wait until 6 o'clock the next morning. Oh, and, you'll be waiting this year, honey. Well, presumably we will be waiting maybe for a week or two. And what's going to happen in the meantime? It could be longer. I mean, if, yeah. if, if there's disputes over mailing ballots. So, James, this is our last podcast before Election Day USA. Yeah. Can you make any predictions? Are there going to be some shenanigans, do you think? Or will it all be plain smooth sailing? I think I can. I think I, I, I'd confidently predict there will be shenanigans. I mean, there have been shenanigans for the last four years. So the idea that there won't be next week is kind of implausible. Um, the question is whether there's just a, a kind of tidal wave. Oh, don't worry, Kanye is probably going to win it. It's <laughs> my call. <laughs> I thought old, I thought old Dirty Bastard was on the ballot too <laughs> until his unfortunate demise. Not been the same since. <laughs> nah. Carol, what have you got for us this week? 
Uh, well, I'm staying on the political track, but just taking a left turn here. Right. So, as we've been saying, all eyes are on America right now, politically speaking. You know, it's a crazy situation to think pandemic plus volatile elections. It's a crazy ride. With the pandemic, most of us are staying home way more than normal. And so how does a politician get their messages across? We've been seeing a few different people representing various parties take uh, to the digital motorways to do this. And one of the interesting places politicians have been showing up is the gaming world. So two weeks ago on Animal Crossing, Nintendo Switch game we've talked about before oh, yes. on the show, yes. the Biden campaign launched its own island called Biden HQ, featuring a Biden avatar where in aviators who only says no malarkey. So. <laughs> um, and the interestingly, the island had a shop and a voting area with text codes for players to sign up to vote and buy in-game merchandise that would benefit the campaign. And this, when it was launched, uh, was streamed to hundreds of thousands um, live on Amazon-owned Twitch. And then again, last Tuesday, we saw two U.S. Congress members, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilan Omar, take to Twitch's very popular game called Among Us. Do you guys ever heard of it? Oh, Among Us, yes. Yeah? See, I haven't. I, I hadn't at all. So. Oh, Among Us is huge, Crow. Um, I haven't played it. I know it came out probably a year or two ago, but it became huge this summer. That's right. That's When right. some popular uh, YouTube streamers started to play it, and then everyone is playing exactly it. Exactly right. It's like a whodunit on a spaceship or something, where you go around with a funny character trying to work out who the baddie is. Is it, is it like uh, Jet Set Willy? It reminded me a bit of that game Mafia we used to play, Graham, you know? And yes. Someone is kind of uh, tapped on the shoulder to be the bad guy in the crew, mm. and you have to try and identify who that is. It's basically what seems to be going on. Now, anyway, AOC, as we'll call her, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, mm. AOC, four minutes in to her um, <laughs> Twitch game, she admits she's no gamer, right? So it's not like she's right. a diehard gamer and this is her space. This is her we in her wheelhouse. Yeah. And she didn't, she didn't just kind of do a kind of fly by the seat of her pants kind of public affair. You know, when a politician shows up, does a quick shimmy, yells a few things, shakes a few babies, kisses. Oh, I did that wrong. <laughs> shakes a few babies. Shakes a few babies, kisses a few hands. And you know like, what I mean. Carol, you're not supposed to do that. Don't shake the baby. That's why I'm not a politician. <laughs> um, she played not for five, ten minutes, but for three and a half hours. And during this entire time was utterly engaged in the game. Like she was yeah. totally engaged and she was totally engaging to watch. I watched and it. Did you watch all of it? No, I didn't. I didn't watch all of it. But I saw some of it. Yeah. Can I ask as, as a spokesperson for somebody who knows nothing about computer games? Is this one of these games that you can start playing relatively easily as opposed to some of these, you know, these ones sometimes uh, they talk about these esports games and there's, there's a, there's a, you know, a shot of these kids playing these games and it's just completely baffling to anyone who doesn't know how yeah, these games work. Yeah, it's not work. one of those. You could definitely play Among Us. Yeah. Games. Right, right. It's like okay. a party game. Like, you yeah. play with other people, yeah. and you can play in the same, like, you know, we, if we were to, you know, hanging out together, we could play together, you and I, or we could yeah. get remote players, and Graham could join us and other okay. people. And right. you have, like, a spaceship. You're preparing it for departure, you know, with your crew. So but, AOC could just dive straight oh, in yeah. and just... Right, and she yeah. called, like, certain, like, big, high-profile gamers to come and be on her team, right? So she was playing with a lot yeah. of the hot shots in the in the in the twitch twitchosphere and the you know among us sphere 
And uh, as they call it, as they call it. Now, uh, this is, as Graham said, one of the hottest games in the US worldwide in September alone. Can you guess how many times it was downloaded? Is it more or less than 2000? It's more than 2000. <laughs> I never want to go in too high, you see, because that ruins your well, drama. I don't know. Try. Just go high. Was it more or less than one million? <laughs> it was downloaded nearly 84 million times in one month. By Jove. Yeah, big. Yeah. Um, her own stream attracted at one point more than 400,000 viewers. Right now, of course, you can go see this. This was just mm. for the live show. Mm. And this was making, I mean, this made it the third most popular stream on the site. So not bad for a first try. And she's now like one of the most followed Twitch streamers who exists, I believe. I, I, yeah, she, she came in, you know, hot and fast. Yeah, she's, she's, she's <laughs> this, that's how I want to join a new industry, I tell you. Do, you. do you think she might give up her political career now? I, I think mean, actually- she certainly, she certainly got this in the back burner now, doesn't she? <laughs> now, Twitch isn't just used for the Dems. Republicans have a few channels too. The Republican convention was streamed mm-hmm. on the platform a couple of months ago. And uh, Donald Trump has his own account. The the uh, the, the best is yet to come. Yes, the best is yet. <laughs> oh my god! Oh. Was that as popular as AOC playing Among Us? Uh, there's a market for that stuff, Graham. <laughs> I would quite like to see Mike Pence or uh, w- William Barr. I- I'd like to see them play. <laughs> playing Metal Gear Solid or something like that on Twitch to to attract the kids. That'd be great, wouldn't okay, it? Okay, so whilst the Republicans have been on these channels, they haven't used it in the gaming sphere. They kind of do it to show off latest video campaigns right. or new segments that are favorable yeah, and that sort of thing. Yeah, boring. As this is a security show, right, I'm going to get to it. So two days after AOC and Omar's yes. Twitch game was streamed, Among Us was hit by a spam attack. And it affected most of the gaming community that were playing online, according to Engadget. So it started two days later on Thursday evening. Players in public matches found their game chats. So you have this kind of chat where you can chat with the other players. Started broadcasting new messages, demanding that users subscribe to a YouTube channel called Eris Lois. Right. Now... In various permutations of the message which were being dumped and spammed out on these public broadcast messages, Loris threatens to hack your device or blow up your phone if you don't subscribe to his YouTube channel. I'm imagining they're about 14 years old. Is that right? (laughs) Um, And it concluded with an unrelated Trump 2020 at the end. So, um, you know, God, if it were MAGA 2020, it would have been much way funnier, actually. That joke, because that, you know. that's the way to motivate someone to vote a particular direction, isn't it? Is to, to spam them constantly and, and tell them to visit your YouTube channel. Well, I have another theory. Right. So, okay, so basically, this um, this uh, Eris Loris, um, with the help of a dozen or so volunteers, claims to have hit uh, as many as 1.5 million games, affecting around 5 million players. And... I mean, look, if I was looking around today, the Among Us subreddit is filled with threads dedicated to this situation, right? right? You go to Twitter and you see hundreds of messages too. So things like, okay, what the hell just happened? I'm in Among Us lobby. Next thing I know, the entire lobby is black and the chat is spammed. Subscribe to Eris Lois on YouTube. Do you have any clue? And they're asking the developers of the game Among Us, which is Inner Sloth. Who I think are quite a small company. Don't take all my lines away from me. Oh. I'm sorry, you've researched this already. 
Okay. Shush. Now, if you play Among Us today, people are all over chatting about this, and it was bad. The creator of the game, Inner Sloth, tweeted people asking them to stop playing the game until the problem was resolved. And they ended up pushing out an emergency server update to try and mitigate the problem. But there are still some people complaining on Twitter about it today, which is a four days later. So maybe there's latency in the rollout. But one of the big problems is no matter how amazingly dedicated the uh, Among Us dev team Inner Sloth is, they're only a three-person band. Right. And as you were saying, it was released two years ago. Mm-hmm. And by when did they have millions in play? It was the summer that it went crazy with the pandemic. So millions and millions of people started playing after yeah. some streamers were like, hey, this is cool. Mm. Uh, and yet they haven't built their team. So how can a handful of developers manage such an environment? Like it doesn't scale if shit hits the fan. And I don't know if that's very responsible. Can I ask a Luddite question? Yeah. How can this guy screw up your phone just from you playing a game you downloaded on it? But the game, I think, uses your phone as well, right? So I don't know if it can screw up your phone other than just make it spam, 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 spam. And you probably ruins just the game. Okay, well, that's a small loss. I think I can just delete that game. I, I might be wrong. I didn't think there was even a smartphone version of the game. No, 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 there definitely is. Android and iOS. Oh, you can there? play it on all of them. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm surprised my son hasn't already downloaded it then. <laughs> <laughs> So meanwhile, so right, so these guys have three people and seeing how they handled it, watching how quickly they, re- they, they tried to manage this problem was good. But this is not the first time Among Us has been hit by some kind of crap. There's lots of complaints online about, hey, people have workarounds or people are cheating. And there's this three person band trying to handle it all. Now, meanwhile, gaming publication Kotaku reached out to this heiress Loris, who claimed responsibility for the spamming spree. And like many hackers, he says he does not regret pissing off a boatload of players, because that was his goal. Oh, so he admits it was him? Yeah. And if you go see his Twitter, it is, you you know, when you were saying earlier, someone says, oh, he sounds like a 14-year-old guy? Yeah. I think you might be right. Right. I think you might be right. He There's huge, huge threads on Twitter, all him responding to everybody. So really enjoyed the day, it seems. How do you know from that that he's 14? Is he like posting pictures of Heather Locklear or something? No, no, no. I'm just guessing from from the way he talked and the way he was responding to people, I didn't get a feeling of a very mature mind. I see. I may be wrong. I may be wrong. (laughs) He's not my bud bud. Um, So he says, uh, so according to Kotaku, uh, he said, uh, I was curious to see what would happen and personally found it funny. Um, the anger and hatred is the part that makes it funny. If you care about a game and are willing to go and spam dislike some random dude on the internet because you can't play it for three minutes, it's stupid. So he's claiming, I just ruined your game for a bit. What's your big deal? But users are not happy. People have been, even been giving online thumbs up to people trying to dox this heiress Loris. Um, so this is where people try and reveal his identity and personal, you know, personal information online so people can make his life hell. Please don't do this, folks. Even if you totally ruined your game, please don't do this. And someone's even already put something up on Urban Dictionary about Eris Loris. <laughs> Quote, a fat nobody who hacks innocent people among us games for clout. Oh, my game is botted by Eris Loris. So there you go. Oh. Charming. I think I'd I think I'd rather work Burpo into that uh, into that line than Loris. Aaron Barnes Burpo. 
Okay, but just, you know, just because we're on the political slant here, what's kind of interesting is that political parties can't raise money in these campaigns by saying, hey, you know, advertising, you know, you know, give us cash, but they can sell like in Animal Crossing, they can sell these kind of virtual clothings or I don't know, campaign stuff. And for that money, it can go to the campaign. So it's kind of like a weird workaround of how you can fund the campaign. Bizarre. It is bizarre. It is bizarre, but like huge audience, 400,000, that's bigger than a, a is rally. Is America just crazy? <laughs> oh, you don't think you're going to see Bojo on one of these next uh, next election cycle? God, heaven forbid. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. Smashing Security is sponsored this week by Recorded Future. They empower organisations revealing unknown threats before they impact a business, helping teams respond to alerts 10 times faster. Recorded Future does this by automatically collecting and analysing intelligence from technical, open web and dark web sources. Well, you too can access the up-to-the-minute security intelligence that allows Recorded Future clients to make fast, confident security decisions by installing their free browser extension, Recorded Future Express. Go and grab it now at smashingsecurity.com slash recordedfuture. That's smashingsecurity.com slash recordedfuture. This episode of Smashing Security is also sponsored by Immersive Labs. They have created a free ebook. It's called Aligning Cyber Skills to the Miter Attack Framework. The idea behind this free ebook is it gives you a guided tour of how the Miter Attack Framework can totally simplify and strengthen your cybersecurity skill strategy. It literally is a go to framework. Learn more at immersivelabs.com forward slash smashing. And thanks to Immersive Labs for sponsoring the show. This episode of Smashing Security is sponsored by LastPass. Now, everyone knows about LastPass's password manager for end users, but it's also a great solution for businesses. In fact, tens of thousands of companies rely upon LastPass to protect themselves. LastPass Enterprise simplifies password management for companies of all sizes and helps you secure your workforce. So whatever the size of your business, go and check it out. Go and visit lastpass.com slash smashing to find out more. And thanks to LastPass for supporting the show. And welcome back. And you join us at our favourite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses saying other like. Could be a funny story, book that they've read, TV show, movie, record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. Doesn't have to be security related necessarily. Better not be. Now, I've noticed that both of you have been quite political today, whereas I have kept my nose clean and have not dared to put my foot into the quagmire that is American politics. No, you told us about a non-existent band called Clu Clang Clang. <laughs> Sounds like someone dropping a whole load of pans and pots in the kitchen, doesn't it? A bag of spammers. Yeah. Well, I'm now going to put my foot very much in it because I'm going to go political. Because my pick of the week today is a website and a podcast and a newsletter called what the fuck just happened today oh and this we can't we can't censor that that one because otherwise no one will know how to get there well the name of the podcast uh, presumably because apple objected to the f word is wtf just happened today if you want oh. to look that up 
And for your for your intro, for your uh, for your amusement, that is actually a word in Slovak. WTF? People actually say here Wutafa. Wutafa. Ah, that sounds lovely. Yeah, chum. Well, the whole purpose of this website and this podcast is I don't know if you've noticed. There's quite a lot of political news, and quite a lot of crazy shit is happening all the time. Sometimes from the UK, quite a lot of the time from America. Now, a few other places as well. I know, but this particular website seems to devote itself to what is happening in the Americas of US mm-hmm. of A. And what they do is they distill the day's events and so they give you a quick, maybe five minute summary of what has happened. And the beauty of this, of course, is that you don't have to watch some cable news station for hours and hours where they're endlessly re-interviewing experts and commentators to pontificate about something that's happened. And you have journalists who are interviewing other journalists going on, going on, going on forever and ever and ever. You just think this is ridiculous. There's too much of this. You're the only one of the three of us that does that. Does what? Watches TV and watches news. You're a bit like Trump yourself. You're always watching the oh. press, always watching the news, aren't you? <laughs> so, is it, are you trying to alleviate that? I'm, you tr- I'm trying that to address, actually just read this instead. I'm trying to address my uh, the problem, which clearly I have, which is an obsession with U.S. Yeah. politics for the last four years or so. And so, I'm hoping things are going to come to an end, and I'll be able to move on. But maybe what part of my weaning process is the WTF just happened today podcast. Well, it's very, it's very cheery. The first thing on the page oh, yes. today is that there's 82,600 cases, a new daily record for coronavirus in the United States. Oh, so that's there fun. Go. There you go. Yeah, great pick of the week. So, well, you know, you just you get the facts, you get some links, and uh, there you go. And then you can move on and get on with the rest of your life. And that is why it is my pick of the week. Dun, dun. James, what's your pick of the week? Okay. How many people do you think are on Instagram? <sighs> Don't know. 100 million. Oh, more than that. 500 than million. That. No. More. A billion. Yeah. <gasps> over a billion. Wow. Somewhere over a billion. Wow. But how many followers do you think you need, on average, on Instagram to make a living from you know, brand sponsorship from companies giving you money or products to spruik on your um, How many followers? Does it work by followers, I'm guessing? Yeah. Yeah. How many ballpark? Right. 10,000. Would it be all right if you had one follower, but it was someone who was very, very rich indeed? Or had a stolen credit card like Aaron Barnes yes. Burpo. <laughs> or had multiple personality disorder and had different entry for each one. Tell us, how many followers do you need to make money? The ball, the ballpark figure is around 50,000 followers. Oh, okay. I thought 10. Okay. So. Oh, I'm getting close. I'm getting close. It, but it depends where you are. Look, if you're here, then you could probably get by on about 10 or 20. Mm. But in a big country, probably 50 to 100. But this is, the, this is the astonishing thing. How many Instagrammers do you think have 50,000 followers at least? Ooh. How? Okay. So there's, there's, there's a, a billion, billion of accounts. A billion of them. Yeah. I'm going to say a thousand. No, more than that. I'm going to say 50,000. So, Cruel, your guess is a thousand? Yep. <laughs> Out of a billion, you think thousand? Well, 50,000 followers? <laughs> Graham, you, yours is, what was it? 200,000? Yes, yeah, 200,000. That's what I'm saying. Yes, I said okay. 50, but I'm you're, saying you're, 200. You're out, you're out uh, Graham, but only by three orders of magnitude. <laughs> 
<laughs> because the the answer, according to Sarah Fryer, who is the author of a book called No Filter about okay. Instagram, and which is the kind of definitive account of Instagram yeah. currently, it was published a couple of months ago. The answer is two hundred million. What? Two hundred million. Okay, so bots, body, bot, bot, bot. Yeah, e- exactly. It's the only way that I can I yeah. can make sense of this claim, but I've I've read the book and and she drops it in there and uh, it's credited to a um, to a uh, market research company. Hang on, called Dovetail, but it hasn't been challenged every, anywhere. And I've and I've um, I think you should challenge it. You do it here. <laughs> yeah, but you need evidence to, to challenge it. They they are using Instagram figures now. Of course, well, one would guess that that yeah, a lot of that is bots, but. Even even on the the face of it, that would suggest that if each of these people who have fifty thousand followers were 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 tweeting or whatever you call yeah. it when you send an Instagram message once a week, two hundred million of them are going out to eat all of their fifty thousand followers once a week. You're That's, up in the trillions. Yeah, you're, you're up in the, the trillions. <laughs> you're in the trillions in terms of the number of of these of these Instagram yeah. tweets flying around, yeah. and um. This is quite interesting to me because I wrote an article in the last week about yeah. a couple of companies who Facebook are suing um, because they've been running fake follower services. And so they've been selling their services for like you know $30 per week to artificially inflate your number of followers and the likes which you get. And of course, all these people who are desperate to be an Instagram influencer, they want yeah. to have big numbers to say to advertisers of, oh, look how popular i am and i i wonder whether all of these people are doing it and it's basically inflation which is going on everyone wants to be up above the rest and so the people who are actually making the money are the people who are running the bots and selling that service i think they should stop looking at how many people happen upon something as opposed to how many people like it would be nice for example even in podcast land if we could say oh how many people have dropped in and listened to one show and then gone on Mm -hmm. you know Versus those that decided, oh yeah, I'm going to stick with these guys. But you also do get ad. You also do get bots who do ad click fraud, though, don't you? Which so yep. who will click on these links and will might appear to people to be the genuine people interested mm. in a service or product. Exactly. So there you go. So were well, you on Instagram, James? I think I might be very soon. If all I need is fifty thousand followers <laughs> to make a living. But what will I? What will I influence people about? That's what I want to know. I'm sure I can think of something. I've got, a, I think I've got about 127 followers on Instagram. I'm doing jolly well. <laughs> Does it make you feel good to have that? Oh, I've just looked, 174. Woohoo! Jeez. Yes. I don't really have anything to post, you see, because I don't want to post pictures of myself because I don't want to put people off their lunch. Um, Are you hoping to be an influencer? So Is that what you're working on? I would on? love it. I would, would you? Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful just to hang out with... Aaron Burpo Bot or whatever his name was, and <laughs> Walker Washington and Old Dirty Dog, and I can't remember their names now. Yeah, wouldn't that be fantastic? I think it's marvelous. Okay. Dana de Beauvoir. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> ah, marvelous. Okay, so your recommendation? Is, what is this book? Is it? Uh, yeah, I would. I mean, I would give it a look. It's actually a very well written book, and it's an interesting subject. Give and, us the title uh, again, would you? It's called No Filter. And it's by Sarah Fryer. And cool. uh, I've dropped a link in, so there'll be a link in the uh, in the program notes. Marvellous. Carol, you're not on Instagram, but you have for us a pick of the week. 
Yes, as I have for the last 200 episodes or so. Mm -hmm. 170? I don't know when we started doing Pick of the Week. This is an oldie but a goodie radio program from Radio 4 that you and all three of us know very well from our own correspondent, F-O-O-C. Fook, as it's known in the BBC. Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. Yes. I didn't know it'd been going for 50 years. Oh, yeah. That blew yeah. my mind. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so currently hosted by the brilliant Kate A.D. Um, and it's basically a show that happens every week where correspondents or journalists or writers from every corner of the world um, report on stories behind the headlines. That's how they pitch it. And the, the stories often have a very strong human element, don't they? Yeah. So. And they go everywhere. Like, so they'll go to South Africa, I think was this week, or they'll be in Thailand or Bhutan or Japan or Armenia. And uh, you just get this kind of, I don't know, snapshot of daily life uh, of what's going on in that particular location. I mean, you guys have listened to this or do you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's like a long form essay, isn't yes. it? It's not reporting, but it, it is wonderful. It is reporting. Well, it is reporting, but it's not like they're going and interviewing people and they've edited it all together. It, it is the correspondent, basically, as though they were r- writing a letter or writing an essay. It's the correspondent's kind of um, recollection or rumination mm. on something that they've seen or, or witnessed or experienced or what's going on in the country that they're based in. Yeah. So, um, like, you might be there. There was one, like, a 40-course Chinese banquet. Um, a writer was there and was able to write about that whole experience or someone who swam with sharks or someone who experienced zero gravity. So these are all kind of interesting elements and you have a kind of first first person account of what that was like. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah. Um, Kroll, is this available as a podcast? Yes, it as well? is. Oh, so you is can it? get it. Uh, it's available both on the world service. So everyone can get it from there mm-hmm. or it's available in the UK on the Beep. Um, on Radio 4. It's also available um, as a podcast. And I recommend it because this is a very calming news program because it's not focused so much on the crazy. It's more focused on the human element. And I don't know, just as a breath of fresh air in these crazy times. So check it out from our own correspondent from the BBC. Here, here. That, that is a great recommendation. Thank you. I think it is too. Well done, Crow. Very, very good pick of the week Mm. marvelous now i know what else is quite good is that you've been speaking haven't you to uh our chums at last pass uh yes so dahlia hamze from last pass uh she and i had a very good chat and you can listen to it right now well actually you're going to be listening to part one because it was such a good chat we talked for way more than half an hour so we've cut it into two so part one this week part two next week enjoy Dahlia. This is Dahlia, everybody. She's a senior security engagement manager with Log Me In, or what people also know as LastPass. And obviously, like the rest of us, she wasn't born in the cybersecurity world, right? So when did you first get into cybersecurity, Dahlia? So I graduate college and I'm like, I'm going to be my own boss. And I start selling uh I, I used to go around to like different stores and get designer clothes and things like that um, at mm-hmm. discount prices. And I would sell them on eBay. And I had this store. It was called Dahlia's Delights. Uh, don't tell anybody, even though I think everyone's <laughs> going to hear that now. And um, 
I loved eBay, right? I, I was an eBay enthusiast. And so I randomly get this job offer one day for, I think I was getting paid like, I don't know, 11 bucks an hour using with some yeah. consulting firm that was like, hey, do you want to like process paperwork? And eBay is your account. I was like, absolutely, I do. And so uh, my hope was maybe eBay will hire me. Well, it actually happened. And I was uh, managing their budget and doing some administrative work for them. Moved out to California. It was for their information security team. And so I remember I moved to California. I'm day one on the job. And people are talking about Sims and servers and DLP and firewalls. I... (laughs) (laughs) I think it's hilarious when people in our industry think that there's no jargon. It is really revolting, isn't it? Like, you don't understand a word when you first walk into this world. I mean, the the number of acronyms that I heard on day one, I actually cried on my way home because I was like, what did I get myself into? Yep. I mean, I, I genuinely have no idea where I am. This was a huge mistake, right? Um, but there is yeah. a lot of, of jargon and things. So now, like, fast forward about six months and... I'm starting to kind of, you know, get the a little bit of the hang, right? I mean, I feel like I'm 10 years in the engagement space and I still don't don't fully grasp it, but um so I'm 6 months in, I'm getting the hang of it and uh I realize that we're doing Now this is to our engineer and developer community, right? So security is trying to say, "Hey, like we need to patch and and guys, we need to take these vulnerabilities seriously and all this different stuff, right? Secure coding." Right, right, right. And so they do this this series and it's like 10 people show up. And I'm like, oh my God, because the presentation is painfully boring. And so I was like, hey, can I take this over and and offer some ideas? Um, and that's when I realized I, I took it over and I started saying like, you know what's sexy? Let's talk about other people's breaches and then relate it back to here. Uh, one of my favorite ones um, that I got approval to do, I don't know how, was the Ashley Madison breach and going through the, the kill chain of what we think may have happened. Uh, we had like 400 people show up for that. And so then I realized, wow. wait, this could be something like I'm really interested in this. How do we translate security for the everyday? I mean, well, for every day now, that, that's really my focus. But how do you make other people interested in it? Yeah, but you had to learn on your feet, I guess, right? Because if you were kind of working in that area and you suddenly said, like, let me take this over, you suddenly have to kind of learn all that info. Did you come into this world kind of understanding like things, you know, things like, you know, unique passwords or safe passwords or long passwords or good passwords and all these kind of things? Oh, definitely not. No, no, no. Um, so what I do is I find my allies and people on the team. And I mean, it's really about relationship building in this specific role. I think if you're a security awareness officer, or if, if you do um, the engagement side of the house, you don't have to be the expert at everything, but you need to find the experts and you need to make good friends with them, right? Um, and then help their agenda. They have things they want to communicate. And so I try to make sure that, you know, it's a two-way relationship. I'm not constantly asking them to present for me and that's it, right? Like, hey, what do you guys have to get out? Like, is there is there a behavior change you're looking for from either, you know, anybody in the company or external? And so it's definitely a, a very symbiotic relationship, I should say. You know, I, I totally, totally get that because I feel that was basically my career as well. If I look back now at what I did, I think my job was to take the very, very smart technical information that was being given to us by our researchers and somehow figure out a way to communicate it to the general public in a way that would make them understand what was the threat, what was important and what they could do about it. Is that is that a fair way of saying what you're doing now? I think 100%. Yeah. 
And it's hard, right? Because yeah. different people digest information differently. And mm-hmm. so we know that uh, depending on the generation maybe you're born in, some people prefer to read, um, you know, millennials and God, I don't even know that the ones after that. I think I just hit that gen, I think. <laughs> All right. Yeah, there's other ones, right? I, I think in theory, I'm a millennial. But if you ask my little sister who's 10 years, my junior, she's like, that's logistics. You're definitely not. Um, <laughs> you just happen to fall. It's like when you fall into the birthday a year before. So you graduate a year earlier. But people digest depending on the industry you're in. Like, do you like to read? Do you like your information in, in short snippet videos? Um, some people like to like to get in you know, they're visual learners. Um, some people are hands-on learners. Personally, mm-hmm. for me, if I if I can't see it, feel it, and and do it myself, um, it's hard for me to understand it, right? So you really have to accommodate. Oh, so you're not a podcast junkie then? Because some people love podcasts and some people, like my brother, one of my brothers is like, I really can't actually absorb information that way. So I have one podcast. It, it's um, a personal one I listen to. I don't know if my my friends at LastPass or LogMeIn would appreciate if I said what that was. I'll tell you offline, Carol. <laughs> um, it's a great podcast. But when it comes to like education and, and for security, let's say, it's really hard for me to understand like a security concept or a technical concept unless I can actually like see it, feel it, get my hands dirty in it type thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So that's, so you're basically trying to identify how people learn and then package the messages they need to learn in a way that's easy for them to digest. Like you're just trying to, you know, grease the wheels, expect, you know, to make sure they get the message as clearly as possible. That's it. Yeah. And, and different, all sorts of different mediums. Yep. And I mean, I think too, whatever channel, communication channel that as security professionals, we try to use, I think there's one thing um, that it, they should all have in common, right? When it comes to the messaging, we love to kind of put the fear as uh, security professionals. Sometimes we put the fear in, if you do this, things are going to crash and burn. And I think um, sometimes taking a different approach, and I don't say security professionals as in all inclusive, um, but I think some Sometimes it's taking the approach of like, here's one or two quick, simple things that you can do, like little bite-sized mm. pieces of digestible information, right? And not the whole the whole gamut. So like focus on one thing, like is it passwords? You know, is it whatever it may be? And and just like one or two easy things that, that our end user can do at home or at work or whatever it may be. We are so cut from the same cloth. You know, even last year, I did a talk to a bunch of security awareness professionals. I used the example of your car breaking down. You know, I built a big story, but the idea was your car breaks down, you go to a mechanic and the mechanic kind of looks at your car and goes, (gasps) and then just rabbits off for, you know, 30 minutes about everything that could be wrong with your car. And literally, if that happens to me, I just go blank. Like my brain just turns to mush. I'm not interested. And it's almost like I want to find a new mechanic. And so I totally get the mechanic you want is someone to go, what's the problem? This is what you need to do about it, right? Bite-sized. I'm totally with you on that. Yep. And that's actually a great, um, I might have to steal that. I love that. I love using the car. Spread the word. Because <laughs> everybody has a car or has been yeah. in a car. So I love that. Again, relatable, right? Easy um, to understand. Everybody's been there. I love that. Yeah, totally. Okay. So, so maybe we can dive in because, you know, our listeners here are thinking, some of them are thinking, okay, what are these bite-sized tips, Dahlia? So the message actually that I probably would have shared pre-COVID is going to be a little different today. So, you know, given that most of us are now working from home, 
home security, right? Securing your home network, which actually then really is securing your corporate confidential information as well. Like there, there's a blurred line there now. And so I would say that if just a, if you're like, where do I start? I don't know what security is and I don't know how to, like, I don't, I don't know about any of this. My first suggestion would be, let's take a look at your home, your home technology, your home Wi-Fi, your, your router, even your personal computers. Are all of these things up to date? So uh, for our listeners, those little annoying, you know, pop-ups that say, would you like to update this now? You just do it. I know it they're can be really painful. important. <laughs> you know, listeners, remember when you were little and your mom would say, "No, you really need to wear a coat because it's really cold outside." And you're like, "I don't want to wear a coat." And you're like, "I know you don't want to wear a coat, darling. You really need to wear a coat because it's really cold outside." It's that kind of message. Just do it. Trust us, please. <laughs> yes, for end users, if you don't know what all of those updates include, some there are these vulnerabilities or th- these gaps and holes and in the technology. And every time they put a push out a software update, a lot of times it's filling, it's saying, hey, we realize that somebody can actually break in, they can, you know, can compromise your personal information. And so those updates aren't to be annoying. They're they're really there to, to keep you secure. And sometimes they typically come with new fancy, shiny features. So um, I would say, update, update, update. Now on your uh, Wi Fi routers, uh, there's websites that you can uh, Google how to update that. Um, mm-hmm. Your like modems and things like that. You won't. That's not going to give you a pop up. So you have to be a little proactive there. But I'd say get your home your home network secure. That'd be my first one. Actually, you're making a really good point. So the reason that Dolly has to say that is because everyone has a different type of router, right? And they all have their own configuration options on it, which makes our jobs really difficult to try and give super clear advice. But the the trick is to go see what configuration jo- you know options they offer you and try and set it to be as secure as possible without, you know, totally impacting your usability, right? So you're trying to be as safe as you can, same way as you are in a car. You put a seatbelt on, you use your brake, right? So it's the same kind of thing with configuration options. So don't assume that the default options are the safest options. Oh, no. You know what, Carol? Thank you, because you just brought me to uh, a second point. You said the word default. Uh, Default passwords. So a lot of times, go to whatever your local uh, here in the U.S. It's Best Buy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, and you go and you get a brand new Wi-Fi uh, router, modem, and you set it up. A lot of times they have these default um, credentials, which is your, you know, your login and your password. Let's say it's admin for the password and admin for your login. These, mm-hmm. if you don't change that, these passwords are actually posted on the manuals. Um, online, like if let's say you f- lose your paper manual, you buy this thing, and then you want to go online. So everybody knows that this is the password. Um, so anybody can, in theory, break into your your network. So um, changing default credentials, Carol, you said the word default. And I was like, that's the word I was looking for. We're on the same wavelength. Yes, I love it. Um, so change the default credentials. That is so important. Um, so, so important, because really, your password is your first step. Um, your first line of defense into anything, really, any account that you have. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. So now we, we've got the router set up. Uh, people have changed their uh, default password and settings. They've made sure it's up to date. What's next on the list? Now this is when we get into the could be anything, right? <laughs> You're right. So what about all these IoT devices around the house? Like, surely we got to focus on those as well. This is where we get those blurred lines. So as, oh, 
My dog's like, I don't want us to talk about that. <laughs> um, they have, you know, some beef with the, uh, the the doggy next door. They like to they like to talk to each other sometimes back and forth. Yeah, they're like, yo, are you stuck indoors? Yeah, yeah. I am. I'm stuck indoors too. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> Socks, yeah, it does suck. <laughs> Here's the challenge, especially now as, as people are working from home. To your earlier point, we have different devices. So you might, you know, be an Android user. You might be an Apple user. Um, You have gaming systems. I mean, there is a million things. I mean, our refrigerators talk to us now and tell us if we're out of milk, right? I don't, I don't have one of those super fancy ones, but I mean, there's a ton of IoT devices. Um, and as a security organization, there's two things. We can't uh, infringe on our employees' personal privacy, right? So all we can do, and we, you know, you don't want to push and say, like, you guys have to do these requirements. It's your home, what you decide to do with, with your things. Um, but a lot of times, if, you know, let's say your fridge uh, or your Alexa or your phone is connected to your Wi-Fi, which is connected to your your work machine, your corporate laptop, that's where the conflict of interest, that's where things start to get a little sticky. So here's what I would say is that offer the resources for people, put it somewhere public, like as simple as it sounds, find those websites that give everybody instructions on how to update Pick 20 of the most common IoT devices you think you'd find in someone's house. I know Samsung does a lot of smart devices. Um, you know, of course, uh, Amazon and, and Google and all of those things. But I would say make it easy for the end user and kind of do that legwork for them. Because if you say, hey, just we gave you a site with all of the resources you need to find your your device and, and figure out how to update it, I think that would be helpful. Totally. So there you go, people. That is part one from Dahlia Hamze. She is a security awareness professional at Log Me In, and you will hear from her again next week with part two on what are the best tips to help you secure your home environment. Oh, that was excellent. I enjoyed that. Girl. I knew you'd like her voice. I don't know why you have to say she should do it with a bit more. <laughs> oh, that was great, Crow. Good one. Excellent. Well done. I enjoyed that. Mm. Thank you, Dahlia. Oh, she's gone. Well, that just about wraps it up for this week. James, I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to find out more about what you're up to. Do you have any social media presence whatsoever? Nada. Not a lot. I love it. How does he live, eh, Graham? How does he live? Well, apparently he's on Instagram, you know. <laughs> I will be soon. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, everyone will have to follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity. No G. Twitter will now have a G. And you can also join the Smash Insecurity subreddit. And don't forget, if you want to help the show, tell your friends about it. Tell them that you enjoy Smash Insecurity and recommend that they subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Pocket Casts. Yeah, Graham's getting a little nervous that my other podcast is getting a bit too many likes. Oh, what's the name of your other podcast, oh, you know, bro? I don't even think we need to repeat it. Sticky Pickles. You already said it already, anyway. Thank you, peeps, for listening each week, supporting our work, sharing it with your bud buds. And, of course, high five to this week's Smashing Security sponsors, Recorded Future, Immersive Labs, and, of course, LastPass. Their support helps us big time in giving you this show for free. Check out smashingsecurity.com for past episodes, sponsorship details, and information on how to get in touch with us. Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, guys.
a little, uh, we were a little subdued this week, eh, guys? We were. I we think were. it's because the clocks changed in Europe. I think we're all a you little bit more bit... tired than we normally would be. It's got really, I'm in my little office and it's, it is so dark and I'm not used to it being so dark. And of course, I've got no lights on other than the Maybe we just need digital hugs from people. Maybe we're just being a little too lonely and locked downy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Oh. All right. Well, good luck with the elections, everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want a digital hug? Yeah. You're gonna. If he wins, we're gonna get a digital punch in the face. So yeah, you better hope so. 